How are we doing this morning? Good? How was y'all's holidays? Anybody have any kind of crazy Christmas, any traveling all over the place? I know if my family, we didn't travel too much, but we had like three or four Christmases on different days. So it was pretty interesting. Um, this morning, I want to talk about something that I believe is extremely important, especially even going into this new year. Um, and I know all of us have kind of been on this holiday. We've kind of been relaxing, uh, maybe sitting down, not doing too much. And so maybe your mind hasn't got that much exercise. Um, but I want to ask you to do something today because I want to talk about a topic I think if we can really get is going to be incredible. But at the same time, it's going to cause you to, to think a little bit and um, really be diligent about what God is trying to speak to us this morning. So before we get into anything, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you. God, for who you are. God, we pray that this morning that you would just have your way in this service. God, that most importantly, that you would have your way in our hearts. God, that you would speak and that you would do only what you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm going to jump right into this because I want to cover quite a bit of ground. Actually, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to uh, John chapter 16. And I'm actually going to pick it up. In verse 16, John chapter 16, verse 16. And I'm going to kind of set it up a little bit here. What is going on is mass confusion right here in the text. And uh, when I read it, and when I read it for the first time, and when you probably hear it and read it for the first time, you're probably going to be a little confused. I read it and was a little confused. So here's what it says. It says in verse 16, it says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us? A little while, and you will see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Because I'm going to the Father. So they're saying amongst themselves, what in the world is Jesus saying? He's going crazy. Um, says, we do not know what he's talking about. So Jesus knew that he wanted to a- what he wanted to ask them. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me. And he says in in verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. I don't know how, about how true that is. but um, For the joy that a human being has finally been born into the world. And here's what I want to talk about. This is the main point of my entire message this morning. I have one point. I don't have four or five points. One thing that I want to get across. In verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And then here it is right here. And no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. So if you get anything I say this morning, I want you to understand that one fact that Jesus says in verse 22, no one will take your joy away from you. I want you to leave here this morning with that ringing in your ears. No one will take your joy from you. Now, I didn't make these words up. You, you know that I read them straight out of the scripture Uh, I didn't make them to make you feel good. If it made you feel good, then that's maybe that God's doing something inside of you. Um, But the first thing I thought when I read this is, especially when Jesus says, no one will take your joy from you. The first question I had when I read this text, and maybe the question you may have when you hear it is, 
How can Jesus make such a statement in a world so broken and fragile? How can Jesus make such a statement in a world where we have things like a few weeks ago in Newtown, Connecticut, where 27 people die? And the majority of them are six and seven-year-olds, but yet in verse 22, he says, no one can take your joy from you. I don't know about you, but that seems kind of like a situation where somebody's joy was just robbed from them. No little six or seven-year-old kid wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I think I'm going to die today. No parent sends their kid off to school and says, you know what, I think I won't see them again. That just doesn't happen. So how can Jesus make such an audacious and bold statement in the middle of a world that is so fragile? How can he say that your joy will never be taken away? When, for my dad, he's healthy. He ran. He worked out every single day. He goes to the doctor for a single checkup. Bam, he has cancer. Goes through a whole two-year journey. I mean, it's not over yet. There's still things that, you know, he's cancer-free right now. But how can you say when when your son or your daughter who you thought was serving Jesus at one point decides to take that kind of winding road? Or maybe your house is being foreclosed and you don't know what you're going to do or where you're going to go. But yet Jesus still decides to say no one can take your joy from you. Or maybe it's as simple as you've tried to have kids for years and you simply can't. And it's a desire and a passion that you have. Maybe you're single and you want to get married and you've done everything that you possibly know how to do and it's just not happening. So my question when I read this text, and the Bible is full of things at first glance, when you first read them, you're like, oh, hold on, Jesus, do you really know what you're talking about here? But I want to explain to you and, and we're going to go through this in a minute, why Jesus can make such a claim. But before we get into any of that, I want you to know, by the illustrations that I've just given you, that life is fragile. That life is fleeting. That it is short. I mean, James chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. Verse 13 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Life is fragile, right? I mean, I I find it funny how at times... We plan, we save, we build for things, and we expect things to happen, and then in a minute, in a moment, they change. Because at any second, life could just go any completely different way. And it wasn't something you planned for, it wasn't something that you wanted to happen, it just happened. So in John 16, verse 22, this is why Jesus' words are so important and why it's so important for us to understand that no one can take our joy from us. So the question I asked earlier was, how can such a massive claim stand when the biggest things in our world are uncertain and unstable? So what I want to do is kind of back up a little bit, look at the text, and I want to teach you something a little bit. So just hang on with me. Um, like I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to require you to think a little bit. So here we go. What I want to do is look at the scripture and kind of find out 
where Jesus is at and what he's thinking and where his mind is really at when he says these words. So Jesus is talking to disciples the night before he's killed, and he's trying to help them understand what is in front of them. So right before he says this, it is literally the day before he's going to be crucified. Okay? So in John 16, 16, he says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, you will see me. So we have that line, the disciples are obviously confused. They're trying to figure out what he means by in a little while, they won't see him. Then in a little while, they will. They're confused. Um, at first thought, I would be confused. I was like, what, what is this guy saying? But Jesus knows they're confused. So in verse 20, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So I have to be convinced that he's talking about his death and resurrection. He's talking about, listen, there's going to be a moment where you're going to see me hanging there on the cross. They're going to beat me. I'm going to be bloody. It's just, it's going to be nasty. And for three years, you've had this incredible relationship with me. And, and in a moment, you're going to feel much pain, much sorrow when you see me there hanging on the cross. So he says, in a little while, you won't see me because I'm going to be dead. But a little while again, you're going to see me because three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. And you're going to feel joy. Which is why he uses the analogy of childbirth. Right? I've had the privilege of being in the room of seeing three babies born. And, and so in that moment, that progression of labor, it is like, you better have a breath mint in. You don't go eat. I remember the first one I went and I was like starving. My wife was in the middle of labor. I ate a burger. came back in the room and I, she like smelled it. And it was like, what were you eating? I'm like, I'm so sorry. But there's much pain in the middle of that. But if you notice with any woman... She's in the middle of labor. What happens? There's this great pain. And the second that that doctor pulls that baby out and lays it on her chest, it's like it's over. It's completely over. The thought of pain, the intensity of labor, every, all of those feelings are just gone. And so that's what Jesus is trying to describe to his disciples. He's saying, listen, you're going to see me die. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be brutal. And you're going to feel pain and you're going to feel sorrow. But I want you to know that I'm coming back. I want you to know that I'm going to defeat and conquer death. So when we come to verse 22, which is the point of this entire message, we know that Jesus has his death and resurrection in mind when he says, no one can take your joy from you. So here's two reasons why Jesus can make such a claim. Why he can say, no one can take your joy from you. The first one is the resurrection means that Jesus will never die. He defeated death. No one can take your joy from you because your joy comes from being with Jesus. Your joy comes from being with Jesus. And because he defeated death... It means that he'll never die, and that also means that he'll never be cut off from you. Because he defeated death, it means that he'll never leave nor forsake you. Because he defeated death, he proves that he is the source of joy, that he's everlasting, that he's eternal, and he's not going anywhere. Because even death can't hold him down.
In verse 22, he says, I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Now, I want to be very clear with this, because this can also be confusing. This text does not offer any guarantees to people who do not enjoy being with Jesus. And that's why that claim can be so confusing because for some of you, I can say, no one can take your joy away from you. And you can say, oh, yes, they can. And if you don't know Jesus, you're absolutely correct. Because as I explained in the beginning, the world is constantly vying and doing everything it can to strip your joy from you. Because life is fragile and there's so many things that go on and so many twists and turns. And if our joy is not found in Christ... If he's not the source, then this text is not a promise to you. It is not a guarantee. Rather, it's an invitation for you to know him and for you to experience that Jesus conquered the grave for your joy. The joy that comes from Jesus is is permanent. It's not based on the emotions or the outcome of the way you feel in a day. You know what's crazy? I talk to so many people and their joy or their happiness or whatever you want to call it is based on the way they woke up and got out of bed that morning. (laughs) Hey, I feel great this morning. Today's going to be a great day. Maybe you have some things planned and you do those things and they go like you planned and, and you say that's a good day. Or maybe you wake up the next morning and you, you kind of wake up a little groggy and the kids are going haywire and because of that, it's a bad day. But true joy doesn't waver in the midst of trials. It does not waver in the midst of good days or bad days because it's permanent. Jesus says in verse 22, no one can take it away from you. It's a joy that is guaranteed forever. And if you do not have that joy, then what you have is very fragile. So this is an invitation to people who find their joy in worth, in money, success, hobbies, sports, family, and get this one, even church. I want to explain something to you. Real quick, happiness and joy is something completely different. Happiness is kind of more like an emotion, I guess. The way that you feel at that very instant. And some unexpected turn of events happen, and your happiness is taken away, and maybe you feel depression at that moment. But permanent joy is knowing that no matter what happens, even though you may feel pain, even though you may feel sorrow, you know that Christ is there and you know in the end it's going to be okay because your joy is found in Christ. I want to share a story with you real quick. Um, At the age of 39, there was a pastor, he was a theologian, And uh, he lived in Germany, and his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. At the age of 39, he was actually uh, hung by Hitler. And Hitler killed him 
because prior to his death, many years before, Bonhoeffer had uh, published many books, and he had wrote many things, and he was preaching all over the place, and basically he was spreading the gospel through Germany like wildfire. And it threatened Hitler because of the fact that the German people started to change their mindset and started to see who Hitler really was and what he was doing. Because Hitler had like really brainwashed the German people. And so Bonhoeffer stands up and he starts teaching people, showing people what the word of God says, and they start getting it. And it starts clicking. And so at first Hitler says, all right, Bonhoeffer, you cannot, you can't go on the radio, you can't preach, you can't publish, you can't write, you can't do anything. And even more, he shut down every um, church in Germany. He closed the doors. So Bonhoeffer said, all right, you're going to take that away from me. So what I'm going to do is he took 70 students, um, and they basically went underground. And for two years, he trained them everything that he knew about the scriptures, everything that he knew about Jesus, everything he knew about the word. And he says, listen, this is what we're going to do. They can shut down everything, but we are going to give our lives for the sake of the gospel. And so he trains all these people, sends these students out two years later, and they start preaching, they start writing, they start publishing things, and Hitler is like killing them like crazy. And so Bonhoeffer ends up going into uh, prison, and the only form of communication he has with these students is kind of like by paper, and they would write kind of like these coded messages. And he would send out all these letters, like encouraging his students, like, keep the faith. And one thing that he constantly reminded of them it was in, uh, in John 22. He says, nobody can take your joy from you. Because if you know who Jesus is, nobody can take that from you. And so I want to read something to you that he writes in one of his letters. And I think it's so good. He says, the joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the agony of the cross. That is why it is invincible and irrevocable. It does not deny the pain when it is there, but finds God in the midst of it. That's true joy. God doesn't deny your pain. He doesn't deny your sorrow or your suffering. But you find Christ in the middle of it. He says, in fact, precisely there. It does not deny grave sin, but finds forgiveness precisely in this way. It looks death straight in the eye, but it finds it precisely within it. And then here's what's awesome. It says, what matters is this joy that has overcome. It alone is credible. It alone helps and heals. A man writes that in the middle of a prison before he is executed. He can do that because he he understood that in Christ's death and in his resurrection... That Christ was never going to leave him or forsake him. So it did not matter what they took from him. That Christ was his joy. So I know I say all this. And I feel for many of us, the question now is probably something along the lines, if Christ is everlasting joy, if Christ's joy is permanent to those who are called according to his purpose, then why am I still disappointed? Then why do I still feel pain? If it's eternal, if if nobody can take it away from me, then why do I still feel this way? Psalms 34.10 says this, The young lions suffer want and hunger, 
But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So God promises that those who seek him will lack no good thing. Which means if something is good, God will give it to you. Now I'll be honest with you. That's, that's hard to swallow because we say, well, if, if it's, something is good, then God will give it to us. But in the end, we're still sick. We're still single. We're still unemployed. We're still going through bankruptcy. We're still childless. So how is God fulfilling his promise to you? So I think the question is, what makes something good? What makes something good? I'm going to make a statement. It may sound a little off at first, but I want to explain it. Healing can be good, but so can lack of healing. Being healed of sickness can be good because it can bring us more of God by showing us his power, mercy, and goodness. But here's the flip side. But not being healed can also be good since it too can bring us more of God by bringing us even more near to him. I mean, Paul experienced this by the thorn in his flesh, right? It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I want you to get this. So when God promises that we will lack no good thing, he means we will lack nothing that would bring us more of God, and we will have everything that will bring us more of God. So when he says you're not going to lack anything good, he's going to put anything in your path that is going to bring him, you, closer to him. So in the moment, in the time, it may not seem like it's a good thing, but it is a good thing because it's drawing you closer to him. So if you lack healing, or you lack a job, or a wife, you're not lacking a good thing, because God has ordained this to bring you more of himself. See, we can look at our circumstances and say, that's bad, that's bad, that's not going good. And God's saying, listen, I put these things in your life for a reason, for a purpose, to help you understand that I am constantly trying to draw you to myself. I mean, when my dad was going through the whole cancer thing as a church, do we trust and do we believe that God's going to heal him? Absolutely. But I remember having conversations with him and saying, listen, even if God doesn't, he said, the greatest thing that is I've known and I've grown closer to Jesus through this time. And in the end, that's what Jesus is after. That's where you find real joy. That's where you find real peace when you begin to know who he really is. I, honestly, I find in the middle of the, the reason that the disciples went through so much pain and death and tragedy and sorrow is because all that stuff does is just draw you closer to Jesus. Because when you really boil it all down, you begin to realize that that is all you have. Because like I said in the beginning, your life is fragile. You can't take anything with you. So if you feel like your joy is fading because you lack good things, there's a problem with your faith. 
You're not trusting that God himself is who he says he is. That God is joy. Number two. The resurrection means that you will never die. So the first point I made is the fact that Jesus will never die because he defeated death. The second is that you will never die. God created us as eternal beings. In a sense, our physical body will die. But one way or another, we are eternal. So two things have to be true if your joy is never to be taken from you. One is that the source of joy lasts forever, which is Jesus. And the other is that you last forever, which we all will. So if, if your source of joy is mortal, and if it, if it is material, then it doesn't last. And that's why we see so many people running and chasing after so many things that maybe sometimes we look at it and we're like, why are you running after that? Or you may find yourself in the middle of that. It's the reason as human beings that we go from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. It's the reason, um, especially during Christmas time when you open gifts and there's like this euphoria of opening a gift. Like, I I really wanted this. And like two days later, it's gone. I I find it hilarious that the... The money that my wife and I spend on, on Christmas for the bigger things, my boys barely play with it. And the cheap little piece of junk toys that break in like 30 seconds, they love it. And it's, it's kind of just like that. If our joy is not found in Jesus, if we don't understand that, man, the decisions that we make and the, the things that we do affect our eternity. If we don't have that mindset, Then it's just like that Christmas day, opening a present, and oh my gosh, this is amazing. Opening another one, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And two days later, you forgot all about it. Because that joy was temporary, it's gone. I mean, if your joy is earthly pleasures, they will be burned up. There is no dead person that I know that has ever taken anything with them. Nothing. How many people center their life around pursuing a false sense of joy? Their joy is based on what they have or they don't have. Their joy is based on how good their day was or how bad it was. I want you to listen to what Jesus said to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. The two greatest reasons why no one can ever take your joy from you are that Jesus, the source of joy, will never die. And those who have Jesus as their source of joy will never die. And some may say, well, Christians die, don't they? (laughs) 
Yes, in a sense we do, but in the most important sense we don't. Mainly that we get to enjoy the fact that we get to spend eternity with Jesus. No one will take your joy from you. Not life, death, or angels, or principalities, or things present, or things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to take your joy from us that is found in Jesus. If Jesus is the source of your joy, then nobody can take that away from you. Your joy in being with Jesus is like an unbroken line from now until eternity. It won't be cut off. Ever. You may come across people and you may come across relationships that you enjoy for a while and they cut you off because they don't like you anymore. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. When he's your source... So I want you to know this this morning. Whoever you are, or wherever you've come from, or whatever you've been through, if Jesus is not your joy, he wants to be. He wants to be. In John 6, 35, it says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Like I said in the beginning, let this ring in your ears. You will see me again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Can I tell you what the world needs from Christians? From the church, from you, from OSC. They need invincible joy in the midst of so much pain and tragedy. That's what the world needs. They need to see that in people that genuinely profess and proclaim that they have a genuine relationship with Jesus. That in the middle of tragedy, that in the middle of sorrow, in the middle of things that do not make sense, that they see that Christ is your source, that Christ is your joy. That's what the world needs to see. Because as we look around us and and as we took a a look around, even in our city, for many of us, even in our neighborhood, there's so much depression, there's so much darkness, there's so many things that are going on. And in the middle of so much pain and tragedy, the way that you shine the brightest is by showing that Christ is your source of joy. And that as a Christ follower, that nobody can take that away from you. No one can take it away. So that's why Jesus' words are so important. And hopefully they make sense to you. That he died and he rose, ultimately, so you could encounter joy. That's what the gospel is all about. I think one of the most important things going into a new year that we've got to remind ourselves of is who our source is. I had a conversation with my dad on the phone um, on my way here. And uh, he was asking me what I was talking about this morning. 
And he said, you know, the first message I preached at the beginning of the year was on joy. And so we close it out with that. I think that it is probably one of the most important things in your entire walk with Jesus. Because if you can understand that, you can walk and you can walk into and face anything and know that Christ is going to be your joy. Even in the middle of pain, in the middle of deep sorrow and things that may not make sense, that he's there, that he's the source. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, help us to live that out this morning. Help us to understand, God, that in the middle of pain, in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of suffering, God, because of who you are and what you've done, no one, no one can take our joy, Father. God, we pray that this morning for those that are far from you, or God, for those that are even just struggling in the relationship, or God, maybe they have questions of why they're in the middle of something that they don't understand. God, I pray that in the middle of that, that they would find you. God, that they would seek you. God, that you would meet them where they're at. God, I pray this morning as we go into a new year, God, I pray that you would strengthen marriages. God, that you would strengthen our relationship with you. God, that you would give us a new passion for your word. God, I pray that this year, that we would know you like we never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know for at least a lot of the time that I claimed to be a Christ follower or a Christian, I truly believe I wasn't. (laughs) Um, Really more based on the fact because I had no passion or desire to read the word. I had no passion or desire to spend any time with Jesus. Which in my opinion, that just blatantly describes that I did not want to spend time with Jesus. (laughs) Right? And it wasn't until a few years ago that I really started trying to read the Bible. Because at first it was just so rough and so hard and it was just like, man... I somewhat understand it, I somewhat don't, I'm somewhat bored by it. And the more and more that I kind of pressed into it, and the more and more that I begin to read it, begin to see the importance. So this is a complete different note, but I want you to know that everything that you need can be found right here. And it takes a discipline But I think the thing that God wants you to know this year is the way that you're going to find your joy and the way that you're going to understand that nobody can truly take your joy away from you is by understanding that you have to learn on your own to hear from Jesus. 
Because all these words that we say up here can mean absolutely nothing unless you've experienced it yourself. A sermon on a Sunday can be probably one of, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. If this is the only time that you hear the word, I worry for you. Because what we want to do as people is, oh my gosh, everything's freaking out. Let me go to somebody else and ask them what I should do. And that person is just broken and as messed up as you are. And you're like, you know, it's probably, I don't know. They don't know either. They're just giving you opinion. Look, when my back is up against the wall, I don't want an opinion. I want something that God has promised me. I want something that's true, something that's real. Not just some guy who's trying to make me feel better in the moment. So I challenge you. Even after I said all these things and I did my best to explain to you what true joy is like, if you still don't understand it, the only way that you're going to understand it is learning to hear from God yourself. So I encourage you as we go into this fast that if you're saying, listen, I'm struggling in my relationship with God. I am struggling with finding my joy in Christ. Then your one mission, your one goal should simply be this. God, give me a passion to know you. And the beauty about that is it doesn't have to be like everybody else does it. If your affections are stirred by drinking a cup of coffee in the morning, if your affections are are stirred by literally shutting the door and getting away from the kids and having your husband watch them so you can just get five seconds of privacy, however it works, there's no standard to it. It's not like you have to wake up at six in the morning and that's when everybody across America, every Christian should read their Bible. There's no standard set in place. You just... Whatever works best for you. I mean, I read my Bible with a cup of coffee. That just, I don't know why I drink coffee and I want to read. That just works for me. For you, it may be different. For my dad, it's going out in the middle of a field and shooting stuff and bringing his Bible with him. It's different for, for, for many people. It doesn't have to be the same. So I want to challenge you with that. Don't leave here without that understanding of, God, I have to hear from you for myself to really experience joy. Because in that you find who Jesus really is, that he's permanent, that he's everlasting. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And God, I pray that this morning that you would help us to become more passionate about you. God, that you would help us to truly understand that you are joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.